a place to call home Fail here to find it Though I must travel on Don't care for fine mansions On earth sinking sand Oh, build me a cabin in the corner Of glory land Oh, build me just a cabin In the corner of glory land Shade of that tree of life That it may ever stand Well, I can just hear the angels sing Shake Jesus' hand Oh, build me a cabin in the corner Of glory land Hi, and welcome back to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Katie Myers. One in eight Kentuckians are food insecure, and that number is even higher in eastern Kentucky. Because of that, a lot of people around here grew up raising their own food from a kitchen garden. Some of those people are now small farmers, working to ensure steady access to fresh vegetables, dairy, and meat for the region's next generation. But farming is tough, and the summer's flood made it even harder. Floodwaters in July churned up fields and destroyed farm equipment all over eastern Kentucky, right in the middle of market season. Many farmers are still recovering from the devastation. Today on Mountain Talk, we'll talk to small farmers and community organizations about how the eastern Kentucky agricultural community is making sure small farms make it to the next springtime and beyond. In Letcher County, Mike Eldridge and Timothy Breeding, two brothers-in-law, run Rocket Farms, like many farmers, the summer's flood disrupted their annual vegetable crop. We caught up with them early one cold morning in late November. As the morning warmed and the frost melted from the grass, we walked into their high tunnel, a big greenhouse full of peppers, tomatoes, beans, and greens. Death farm this morning. Death farm. Welcome to the Rocket Farm, Jeremiah, Kentucky. Oh, wow. If it came yesterday, all of our tomatoes were still just as pretty and lively as it was the last yeah. night. It, it gets in the temperatures, get in the, the 20s and stuff, it kind of devastates your, uh, even though you have a high tunnel. The two chose farming as a second career after careers in the coal industry and in banking. Both grew up working class in eastern Kentucky, and their parents tended gardens as a way of life. The farm is on Breeding's family land. And farming is, is a thing that I grew, uh, grew up with. If you didn't grow it, you didn't need it a lot of times. And after I retired, this is our second year, yep. right? We only got our high tunnel in June, June. of this year. Yeah, so, But we're experimenting. We are learning a lot. The farmers around us have really been great. I thought I knew how to raise crops and everything until I got into this. But yeah. it, it's an experience, and the payoff is it ain't the money because you don't get a very large amount of money when you sell the stuff, but it's something that you can sit down and put on your table, and you know that it's what it's got in it, uh, how it's grown and everything. And it, it's just a pleasure to start something from a seed, watch it grow and develop, and then produce. And it helps the community as well as your family. Everything was going great. And then the flood happened. It happened July the 28th, 28th. Uh, that morning. And uh, we'd never seen floodwaters in this area like this ever. Our planting field is outside the high tunnel here. And it uh, basically devastated the planting field, which had our Brussels sprouts, our peppers, summer squash, um, cucumbers, uh, potatoes, things of that nature but I'll let Mike fill in on that as well. 
what happened with that is we have a wall, a rock wall that's been there probably since a hundred years ago. And the flood got so bad that it cut that wall out and it turned the flood waters in on our planting field. So we was in the process of uh, redoing that right now. But our whole garden that what he was talking about got devastated. I mean, just washed it away, destroyed it. And in here, we had a lot of runoff water, which was clear mountain water. But still, we had gullies running through here and everything. And we have worked everything outside and in here also. Uh, in here, we have uh, redone all of our ground, and we got mustard growing right now, a lettuce, a spinach. We've got Brussels set out. We've got cabbage plants set out. And our tomatoes was very lively until last night. <laughs> And yeah. it's a dead zone this morning for them because our temperatures got below freezing and are down around 20. And we don't have a heating source in here. So all we rely on is, a, is the sunlight and the insulation that we have around the high tunnel. But outside, we're, we have uh, trying to replenish our garden area. We have planted uh, cover crops, uh, rye, uh, red top clover, mustard grass. And we're still in the process of uh, repairing all that. Hopefully we'll have a, a great season this coming up. But it really, it, we'd worked so hard and we had such a beautiful garden. I mean, Brussels are something that around here that nobody would never fool with. So we were experimenting with that for the first time and they were, they were beautiful. I mean, everybody that we talked to. And we had a, a really good crop with them, but the floodwaters took them, took everything else too, just like he said. Yeah. Peppers, onions, tomatoes. Yeah, like Mike said, it was devastating, but like we said, we were, we were recovering from it, uh, trying to rebuild the limestone wall that's been here for over a hundred years. And uh, we have to move each piece of limestone with a boom. Uh, each piece has to be moved and placed so that type of trade is not done uh, much anymore in, in this community. Manure is uh, a good thing after a flood to replenish the soil back to its uh, right figuration. So in uh, putting cover crop on, uh, the soil is very important. Uh, rye, uh, crimson clover, uh, mustard grass, it just, uh, and it's, it, it makes your, uh, your property look look nice. So it's all green right now, and that will just stay green. And then in the spring, a lot of it will bloom. And then the, the, the soil will be turned again, and then we will have the soil tested again to see where we're at on our levels. Uh, so uh, we've done all the, uh, the things that need to be done to ratify uh, the soil back to where it needs to be. We just hope every season's a different different tactic. Uh, even though everything was great up until the flood, we don't know what we hold for next season because of the soil. The soil plays such a big role in your planting. Soil testing and cover cropping have helped replenish the soil at Rocket Fuel Farms. Though it's a long road ahead for them, luckily they're not alone in walking it. Together with a large cohort of community organizations, including farmers markets, extension offices, and more, Berea-based nonprofit Grow Appalachia is working with Eastern Kentucky farmers to help them come back stronger next year. 
Chris McKenzie works at Berea College as the Grow Appalachia Farmer Development Coordinator, and he's been working with a host of other organizations to ensure small farms in eastern Kentucky survive the flood's aftermath. He says the flood has made him think a lot about adaptable and climate-resilient agriculture in the region. You know, the flood has changed a lot in terms of how people have um, how people think about farming and the sustainability of farming, and it um, reinforces the idea that we need to be um, working with producers to develop climate resilient farming practices for their farm. We had already been doing some of that work with farmers because of the COVID-19 pandemic and because of, of other floods that we've had in the region. This is not our first um, flood, but it is the largest and, and most disastrous. So, um, And for us, it's also really reinforced um, the importance of working with other partners and agencies to bring resources to eastern Kentucky to help um, with the recovery effort. Could you just walk me through, like, what does a flood do to a farm? Common themes we see are that the, the flood has wiped out the farm's infrastructure, you know, barns, fences, um, sheds, um, potentially damaging equipment, um, potentially, um, you know, damaging livestock, um, you know, uh, carving out sections of the stream bank, for example, um, so that um, basically eroding the land, um, the flood is, is going to potentially either deposit um, sand or silt onto the existing soil on the farm or it could potentially wash away um, what's already there. And, you know, what's already there has been built up over a long period of time with a lot of care. Um, and so that would be things like fertilizer or manure or other soil inputs that a healthy production system for both crops and livestock. So, um, And those are some of the things that are difficult to quantify. So we've done quite a bit of soil testing with farmers, um, both to see, you know, how the soil structure has changed, you know, if, if any of the nutrients need to be replaced, um, but also we've done some heavy metals testing just to make sure, you know, that there there aren't any of those um, potential contaminants or, or at least that the levels are within acceptable limits. Um, and so we've been working with the University of Kentucky and other partners to uh, to do some soil testing as well as water testing. So the, um, the Kentucky Horticulture Council and um, Kentucky State University have been really um, helpful in terms of um, you know, helping test irrigation water. Um, and so that's kind of the first step is the assessment. Um, and then, you know, we've there's some resources flowing in to the region um, from like the uh, Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, which has had the, the, uh, the Appalachian uh, Small Family Farm Fund. And, and with those um, recovery dollars, you know, we can help direct... Um, farmers in terms of where those resources are best used in the recovery process, whether that's their soil or their equipment. Um, we've also been able to um, obtain uh, uh, several large uh, semi-truck loads of compost um, that we're having delivered to, um, we've had two loads delivered to Letcher County and several others um, 
to surrounding counties, um, and we're having partners in the region help get that resource out to um, farmers who are producing for market, especially a lot of the small-scale uh, fruit and vegetable producers um, who may have been impacted, who their, whose soil may have been impacted by the flood can really benefit from um, some additions of, of compost there um, to help revitalize the nutrients in the soil and, and also help with, with soil structure issues. You know, cover crops are a great strategy for stabilizing the soil. So um, at any point, if, um, you know, we're concerned about future flooding or anything else like that, you know, cover crops are a strategy to, um, you know, the roots um, help us retain soil um, in, in different types of uh, conditions. And cover crops can also help add organic matter and condition the soil. Cover crops are always something that we encourage, and, and we give a lot of technical support around um, how to best utilize those. Yeah, again, it's it's been something that we've been thinking about for, for a long time. Um, uh, I think climate-resilient farming in general has, um, has worked its way into our focus, especially through our, our organizational strategic planning process. Um, that's a need that's been identified by multiple regional partners, um, as well as on a global scale, you know, obviously we we can't anticipate, when, and we certainly didn't expect um, this current flooding event, and especially at the scale that it's happened. Farming is going to be particularly impacted um, by any type of shifts in the weather and climate. One of the most important strategies is to use, um, you know, uh, planning um, and looking years years down the road and um, intentionally building climate resilient practices into into farms in in multiple different ways into the production systems but also into the business model and, and how can we um, manage the risks that come with unpredictable um, weather is that something you feel farmers are receptive to or like I know because I know there's sort of this feeling of like we have to help each other and then I'm also hearing a little bit of like hope it never does this again you know and like of course we all hope that but um, I'm wondering if you've, you've sort of like had to work through with people sort of talking about climate change and talking about um, climate resiliency. Sure I think um, in my experience has been fairly easy to talk about climate resiliency um, just because I think everybody's um, experienced some ex some type of extreme in the climate that has affected their farming over the last couple of years, whether that be periods of drought, whether that be um, the flooding that we've already talked about, um, you know, extreme extremes in temperatures um, that is being um, felt throughout, you know, agriculture in the state and beyond um and and so it's it's really just about identifying um that specific issue that's that's happening with the farm um and addressing it and then also thinking through in terms of risk management okay what are some of the other extremes that could happen and how do we plan for those as well and so um you know we can really just um you know start working with folks on, on what they're already feeling and understanding in terms of their farm and then build on that, if that makes sense. There, something I've heard a lot about, too, is 
uh, farmers are supporting each other a lot right now in this time. I've just heard of different like people swapping resources and like sort of sending each other stuff. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes, I. Uh, well, I can't say enough about how um, incredible it's been to see farmers stepping up and supporting each other. Um, farmers within the region, you know, right down the road from each other, all the way to you know, farmers from central and western Kentucky um, driving out to help with the recovery effort or sending produce or or um, other products for the farmers affected by the flooding to, to, to be able to sell from their farms so that they don't lose that revenue stream. Uh, Grow Appalachia, along with several of our partners, have, um, including Community Farm Alliance and and others, have, have been able to kind of help network farmers from outside the region who want to help and get the um, the produce or whatever product they're trying to get into the region into the right hands um, so that um, they can be sold or or utilized to in in you know for the family in the kitchen because you know beyond just the the impact of farm sales um, a lot of farmers also rely on their farm products to, um, you know, for, to, to feed their own families, helping coordinate produce to, to come in for, for families to be able to can and put up for the winter. Uh, even other farms that are struggling have, have stepped up and donated um, both time and um, farm products or, or money or resources to help with this process, and it's, it's been amazing. The winter is going to be a, a unique opportunity for everyone to kind of take a step back and see what's needed um, and look to, you know, spring and summer production and really start planning. Um, and from there, we can respond to that need. The most positive story is that, um, you know, we talk about climate resilience and flood resilience. Um, these um, you know, communities in Appalachia are already resilient. Um, they've had to be uh, for a long time. And, um, you know, Grow Appalachia is an organization that, um, you know, seeks to, to support that resilience and to um, bring in the resources and information needed to um, uh, to make communities more resilient. So it's... Um, you know, for us, it's taking in the lessons learned here with the flood. And, you know, for communities, I think it's really understanding that, you know, these these kinds of things could happen again and, you know, not letting that dictate, you know, how we, how we move forward. Um, we know that we need healthy food. Um, we know that we need uh, fresh food to stay healthy. And it's always going to be important for region to be able to produce its own food. A lot of lessons um, have been learned through COVID and, and, and other ways that, you know, our food system is, is only secure, as secure as our, our local food producers. At a November meeting at Kane Kitchen in Whitesburg, multiple farmers, including Rocket Farms, took the mic to talk about their survival in the post-flood world. Valerie Horn, who runs Kane Kitchen and the Whitesburg Farmers Market, said she hopes that flood-impacted farmers can use the space they have together to continue supporting each other. 
At the farmer's market, she's been doing her part to make sure farmers get the support they need. You know, so I would say about 60% of the farmers had some degree of, of damage from the floods and the waters. But we, our board made a, a calculated decision to, to, to suspend local sales at the farmer's market just to avoid any risk uh, and because we could not fully vet all pro produce that came. And because of the severity of this, this is we, we have water in our county that is still testing high with E. coli. So, and then and a lot of our programs at the farmer's market are veggie and fruit incentives that feed a vulnerable market with elders and children and diet-related health issues paid for through medical care. So we felt that the, in that case, we had a responsibility to be, to be certain that there, were, there was no room for air. And so, so everybody's missing some sales. Back at Rocket Farm, Eldridge and Breeding recalled the help that came to them as the mud dried and the water receded over their field. Sometimes they feel alone out there in Jeremiah on Dottie Creek. But since then, they've been told again and again they're not alone at all. Life has been a constant exchange as small farmers fill each other's needs, accept the help they need and give what they can. Some give compost, others seeds, still others tools. Um, during uh, when spring comes, we have our gardens turned, the soil and local farmers do that through Grow Appalachia. Uh, so we connect with the farmers and that nature. Um, we visit other farmers to get their input um, on how to grow things like strawberries. Uh, we're uh, kind of in the beginning stages of doing strawberries and Mike's kind of like the guru on that. Uh, but uh, I think meeting with the farmers and learning their experience uh, really helps out. And we've been over to Bennett Quillen's farm and chatted with him, um, but just that camaraderie of uh, local farmers, um, uh, people that do uh, stir-offs and molasses, learning that trade. Um, so it's, it's, it's rewarding, but the farmers have been a big input on us uh, starting this new adventure. So One of the biggest things, too, is the moral support. When one farmer hurts back here, all farmers hurt. And if one farmer is in need, it, you don't have to beg or almost ask your your community comes together and this flood really showed what our people but we've always done that yeah. if somebody's in need or somebody needs something the whole community just comes together and you get help from sources that you didn't even think that they even knew you was a farmer or grew anything but they come and help and it's just more support and the knowledge if you got a question about something like if we don't know what to grow or how to grow it all we got to do is talk to the farmers, and they're very easily with their uh, knowledge and everything, and that goes a long way. We had a young man that brought a, a backhoe. I couldn't even get up to the road down there to come into the farm, and he took a backhoe, and he made a driveway. They cleaned out uh, the creek. They piled up our rocks. A lot of them did, and anything, just about anything you need, if, if you don't have it or if you really need it, the other farmers or even their agencies around here helped quite a bit. Without them, you, yeah. you could have hung it up.
I yeah. mean, and it really, what I was getting uh, to earlier, we worked so hard and we had our garden just the way we wanted it. And, but we weren't the only one, a lot of farmers. A lot of farmers lost a lot more than we did. Yeah. I mean, it, it was totally devastation. But the things that we had already organized, like our Brussels or our vegetables and all that, you, you see all that happen and then it's just gone. So it re the morale, uh, it really breaks you down. And just the other night at that meeting, just being together and hearing other people's stories, and you realize that you're not by yourself and that you're not standing alone. So it affects everybody. That's just like in coal mining. It's a bond. Farmers also have a bond. It's in your blood. That's all for today's Mountain Talk. Today, you heard from farmers and agriculture experts about the after effects of the July flood on local farming in Eastern Kentucky and what's being done to help farmers recover their fields and return to a sense of normalcy. You heard from Mike Eldridge and Timothy Breeding, farmers at Rocket Farms in Letcher County. You also heard from Chris McKenzie of Grow Appalachia on the organization's work to help farmers recover from the flood. You also heard from Valerie Horn of Kane Kitchen and the Letcher County Farmers Market. I'm your host, Katie Myers. WMMT reporter Rowan Raudebush also contributed to this episode. If you liked hearing from us, you can download Mountain Talk as a podcast from SoundCloud. From all of us here at Mountain Community Radio, thanks for listening. I've many dear loved ones who've gone on this way. Great final morning, I'll hear them all say. Join in my singing, oh yes, play in my band. Build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Oh, build me just a cabin in the corner of glory land. Shade of that tree of life that it never stand. Well, I can just hear the angels sing and shake Jesus' hand. Build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Oh, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land.